What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vane Podcast, and this episode is specific to our Whitetail series. The Whitetail series contains 27 episodes, 9 for the early season, which are already out, 9 for the pre-rut and rut, and 9 for the late season. This episode is part of our pre-rut and rut portion, and we're going to be talking scrapes, rubs, bedding areas, food plots, pinch points, funnels, um, morning sits, evening sits, all day sits, calling, decoys, all sorts of crazy stuff that happens during the rut and fun tactics, ground hunting, like the spot and stalk. There's just a ton of stuff to go about. This is my favorite part of the season. So I hope you guys really enjoy these episodes. I think we're even going to have 10 or 11 in this just because of the rut's so much fun and there's a lot of people I got to talk to. Also, this Whitetail series is brought to you by Arrow Hunter Saddles and Onyx Hunt. If you're in the market for a tree saddle, definitely check out Arrow Hunter. They make a phenomenal tree saddle. It's extremely comfortable, very adjustable, made right here in the U.S. I've found them to be the most comfortable for me and um, and I just really like them. So if you use the code DVAIN10, you'll get 10% off your order. And uh, they should be actually shipping. They just came out with a new one here in the Mer- the Merlin, uh, but they should be shipping here pretty soon, uh, getting a whole lot more in stock. Of course, during season, almost all the saddle companies are pretty much out because they're so popular now. But definitely check out Arrow Hunter Saddles if you're looking into it. Uh, on a- as far as Onyx Hunt goes, everybody should know about them. You know, they're the they're like the premium GPS mapping app. They give you public and private land boundaries. They give you landowner information. They give you hybrid maps, topo maps, satellite maps, waypoints. They work offline. It's just a phenomenal app. I pretty much find myself using it every day during the hunting season. So again, if you're in the market for a saddle or looking at a GPS app, please check out Arrow Hunter Saddles and uh, Onyx. And without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. Anyway, we're supposed to be talking about the pre-rut and the rut in Michigan. I know this it's is, a sore uh, subject. It's a very you. sore subject. And, oh yeah, everybody, <laughs> this is Scott Spitzley. He uh, <laughs> he's got an Instagram. He's part of Non-Typical Productions. Um, he's part of the Six Packs and Racks podcast, which is put on by um, essentially Wild Carrot, The Breaking Point, and then you. Is there anybody else on that? Whitetail DNA. Oh yeah, Alex. Yeah, Alex. Yep. Comstock, and then yeah, I mean, I'm just myself. I, <laughs> I got a, my own company as well, my subcontractor company in Spitz Media, but I normally go by non-typical productions or six okay. packs and racks. Yeah. So that's Scott, and so essentially, Scott, like I wanted to talk to him because a he travels around the country filming all these people, so he's got a good idea as to like what actually works and what doesn't work. And then the other thing, and I'm, and I'm sad to say this, but he's, he's had some great success and, and not success in the last, in the last week. And we're going to talk about it, Scott. I know it's an open wound. Oh, yeah. Hit me, hit me with it. (laughs) Yeah. I've already, uh, I've already discussed it on one of our podcasts. The first one. Okay. (laughs) I haven't discussed the second one really with anybody, but you and uh, a friend of mine. So, yeah. Um, well, I'm sorry, but we're, we'll, we'll talk about them, (laughs) but, um, so essentially like for the pre-rut, um, which is right now, this is this podcast being, is being recorded October 27th. It'll air actually next week, um, on the second November 2nd. So the pre-rut will be kind of wrapping up for most areas. And we're, in my opinion, like we're rolling into the rut, like, Mm-hmm. generally like november 1st kind of like for me is the date that changes to the rut is that the same for you yeah usually first week of november is 
I mean, if it's not hit before then, it's definitely hit during that time frame for sure. Okay. Like it's it's going on during that time frame. Sometimes so, it hits earlier than others, but I think it all coincides on when the does, you know, go in estrus. I think that's when the rut officially kicks. And I mean, there's some conspiracies out there, like, you know, the full moon is when it kicks them into doe estrus. And I mean, I'm sure there's a lot more science behind it, but that's kind of what I normally look for is the full moon during okay. that rut phrase. Um, Which is like coming up here. The 31st here. Yeah. I'm sure it's probably the same for you. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> we're on the same planet and generally yeah. the same area. <laughs> um, um, yeah. So, okay. So the, when the rut kind of kicks off is the first week of November and that's when this is going to air, but let's talk, let's just spend a little bit of time on the pre-rut. If anybody's kind of more Southern listening to this and the, the rut really hasn't kicked their rut kind of is pushing towards mid-november or something um so what have you been i mean you've had success getting into good bucks the last week but what what have you been doing to to get in there so you know when i was had my first success it wasn't really pre-rut yet it was okay. uh they were just they were still patternable and I was still getting daylight photos, you know, not, you know, not in the middle of the day by any, or not like at 4.30 in the afternoon by any means, but, you know, before dark and just after day or after uh, morning. But uh, I had some cameras set up and granted, I had a late start. I got married, got back from Aruba on October 11th. So I'm yeah. coming back, checking all these cameras. And Scott's, and in, Scott's in Michigan, if I forgot to mention that. So his season opens October 1, and he goes on his honeymoon right away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, with COVID, I mean, our, our wedding was supposed to be in May. <laughs> so we were actually on our third date. So, I mean, we just kind of had to work with what we had. And mm -hmm. I knew that I'd come back and be able to hunt regardless. So, um, but anyways, yeah, I came back and checked cameras and, Right then and there, I knew that I could kill a deer, you know, middle of October. I was pretty stoked about that. And there was one camera location where I noticed um, they were already making a scrape mid-October. So um, okay. I had set up, and, and I granted, I didn't have a stand there. I ended up putting a set up there. Um, usually, I used to, and still do, but I used to 100% um, do a hanging hunt. Okay. Um, are you hunting private ground or yeah, public? Uh, yeah. Mostly okay. mo I hunt both public, public and private. Um, but being that I've only had, you know, I've got 10 days of bow season that I can hunt before I leave Thursday. So I'm just trying to get it done. And yeah. Oh, of course. With the deer I've been getting on camera, I'm like, I'm just going to focus on this property and try to get yeah. it done. Um, so where I had set up, um, I had a few, uh, shooters is what I call them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't name my bucks by any mean, but, um, I had them showing up in daylight on this camera. So what I had noticed is there's a ridge and this is a steep ridge. It's a steep hill. This property actually kind of reminds me of like hill country. It's, it's basically all river bottom and it's surrounded by ag. And I mean, at, at one point. 
on one side of the property there's like a hundred at least a hundred foot drop like from the oh, road. okay it's 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 down there like a club um, all right yeah exactly so um i knew that they were and i say cruising but they were they like to stroll through their um <laughs> later morning on and this I, like ridge I know side? on this ridge side and it's butts right up to the river bottom so i ended up setting in between there right at the scrape essentially okay. um are you do you know or, if you're like close to like a bedding area or oh yeah yeah i try to focus more on bedding i mean okay i knew where they were bedded and i knew they were going here at this particular time so sure. i tried cutting them off going to this spot if that Got makes it. sense all right yeah um granted these bucks aren't bedding there every night or every morning sure. or every every day they're not bedded there every day um they obviously have different bedding areas but um so i basically what i did was play the wind and weather and that's when i went in there for the kill and the first time i had set that first set i had a shot at that uh the first eight point um okay and when you say you, I'm sorry for interrupting you so much. I'm just trying to like clarify some details. No, yeah, I'm, okay. I'm pretty bad at explaining myself. <laughs> like it's it's going through my head. I know what I'm seeing, and but I'm very bad at like explaining the situation. No, no, so that's that's cool. what I'm here for. I gotta, I'm I'm here to pull those details out of your brain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Yo. so essentially, you, you got the camera. It's showing some daylight photos in late morning. Um, there's a scrape kind of closer to a bedding area. You're trying to just get them as they're kind of pretty getting pretty close to that scrape and going into that bedding area and you're playing the weather and the wind. So essentially you're saying you're, you didn't even go in there at all until the wind was right. And then what do you mean playing the weather? Are you, like, were you waiting for a cold front or? Definitely a cold front. Um, okay. You know, you hear a lot of podcasts, like I'm, I'm a fan of the Drury's. Mark Dury is, he's sure. very intelligent when it comes to deer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I, I take a lot in from him. So I've learned a lot from him, listening to his podcast and stuff. So um, what from what I gathered, you know, sunny days and when that barrel, the barometric pressure is just rising at the top. So basically deer movement moves with that barometric pressure. Um, so it was on a Tuesday. So here I'm, I got, I use Wonderground. I'm sure others use Wonderground. Oh yeah, I use Wonderground. Pull yeah. the 10 day up. And what I'll do is like, I think it was Sunday or something. I noticed that the barometric pressure was peaking right, you know, right in the morning of Tuesday, which is absolutely perfect. And, uh, in, and that that it was sunny i don't know what it is I, yeah. and i've noticed it myself too um that there's more deer mov movement when it's a nice blue sky day yeah. birds are chirping you know light breeze nice and cool frost on the ground mm -hmm. you know what i mean i just oh yeah not yeah. not enough evidence to know i know what happens every there time is. but i just know that the deer definitely move when I look, <laughs> so, when I worked at the lighting company, there is mm -hmm. biological, 100% proven data that the more blue 
that is in the that is in the sky or is in the light that you're under during the day at work mm-hmm. or whatever, the more cortisol um, mammals produce. So, and cortisol is your body's like awake drug, so or awake hormone. Okay. So it, it gives you more energy. That's why, like on cloudy, dreary days, you always feel like oh, I don't really want to do anything but watch movies. And mm-hmm. when it's bright blue sky day, you're like, and sunny, you're like, I should really do something outside today. Like you're just more productive right. on those days. Yeah. So any anyway, that's yeah, like that vitamin D. Maybe that yeah, the deer like vitamin D too. I guess you know, <laughs> right. Right. So so anyway, um, yeah, dude, I've I've. 100% experience the same thing. Like if it's, I will generally see more deer movement on a, a clear day than an overcast day mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. so that's yeah. what you were waiting for was rising yeah. barometric pressure and a clear, sunny, clear day. And granted, I wouldn't have sat there if the weather wasn't, I mean, the wind, the wind direction honestly is probably the number one thing I look at. I mean, the barometric pressure is beautiful <laughs> and the sun is awesome, but wind direction is key. You want to make sure, you know, if it's morning, you don't want to make sure that your scent is blowing to where they're coming from to go to their bed. Right. You know, at nighttime, you want to make sure, or in the evening, you want to make sure you're setting up where your scent isn't blowing into their bedding, which access has a rule of thumb with that i mean you want to make sure scent is key wind direction is key you want if you bump a deer i mean granted yeah they possibly could come back but there's a good opportunity that they couldn't so mm-hmm. that's the number one thing i look at is wind direction but yeah everything just seemed to align right that day so yeah and it, it just cool. it was just a perfect day to sit so yeah so you got out there early morning, sat until he came through and right. I had planned on sitting. Yep. I had planned on sitting till at least 11, depending on deer activity. Okay. Um, he ended up coming in just before 10 or just after 10. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which is like, which is pretty odd, like late morning in mid October. Like that's a lot of people do, still are kind of like, debating on whether or not to hunt mornings during that time mm-hmm. frame right absolutely yeah you know most people are still only hunting evening I, food sources i uh completely disagree with that tactic but oh. <laughs> clearly <laughs> i mean if it, i don't know it it all depends man like luckily you know i have a lease you know i do lease this land it's not my own property um and at the time it wasn't getting hammered with pressure so I think okay. that had a lot to do with it. So I think yeah. it all, it all coincides on what situation you're in. Yeah. So. Yeah. But, and the biggest, big thing in there is like the cameras don't lie. Like if you weren't seeing deer in that time frame, then you probably wouldn't have been so jacked and you wouldn't have planned on staying that long. Most people, absolutely. most people get out at nine, nine 30, mm-hmm. you know, yep. and you said he was came in at like nine 50, 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. So yep. I mean, yeah, that's, that's like, seems to be, you know, most people's morning sits go from whatever, 630 to nine, 630 to 930. And then they're right. out. But, and that's a, that's always a big topic of like contention because cameras cost money. Not everybody can afford all these different cameras. Oh yeah. Um, 
but I just like, you can spend, you know, five years scouting a property and have the same amount of information as you would in two years if you use cameras. Absolutely. So for me, it's just like, it, it shrinks that, that um, learning curve so oh, yeah. much. Yeah. So, and I've, yeah, I've hunted a ton of different properties over my life. So like I've been, I've gotten sick of like trying to figure out a property without buying cameras. So, so it's just you like, can definitely learn a lot with them. And yeah, I, I've, I've scouted this property head to toe. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. I, I know all about this property. So I, I kind of have the upper hand, uh, essentially, but, um, they kind of have the upper hand on me. So, <laughs> so he rolls in, um, yeah. So finish your, finish your story here. So he rolls in at like nine 45, 10 o'clock. Yep. Um, when I first originally seen him, which I didn't see him until he was right there. Okay. <laughs> I was, I honestly, dude, I was, uh, I think I was taking photos. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was definitely distracted. Um, I was taking photos and I look up and here he is rubbing his antlers on this branch. Right in front of you on the scrape. I mean, this is at like 35 yards. Okay. 40 I'm yards. Good. In the woods. Okay. I got you. Yeah. This is at the, the funnel. I, I guess it's kind of a funnel. It's in between the, the Creek and the, the, uh, the Ridge. So, okay. And I'm get. I, I want to say he came from the Ridge. I, I think he come down the hill. Um, but yeah, he was already there. So I actually don't know where he came from. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes that's why you they always... can sound like freight trains and other times they're like ghosts. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was, uh, yeah, he was right there. That's why you pay attention at all times. <laughs> don't play on your phone. Don't take pictures. Just sit tight. You'll never know what you miss, you know? So, yeah. Um, but anyway, it, it was a picture perfect. It was picture perfect, man. I, it sucks talking about it, honestly, but yeah. Um, he made a scrape. He, he worked his way right to me, um, 20, 25 yards broadside. Um, I shot and I got it on film. And originally what I had thought I hit him in the neck, but the arrow okay. had stuck. Um, but after looking at the footage on big screen at home, I noticed that I hit him in the high shoulder, like right side of the high shoulder. Okay. Um, excuse me. Um, I spent a lot of time looking for this deer. Um, I did, I did have some malfunction with my drop away rest. Um, I'm oh, not saying good. that's what caused it kicking nah, it to the right, nah. but yeah. I mean, it, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I still put the blame on myself because this is a brand new bow, brand new setup. I shot it, you know, I've, I've shot it multiple times, but I don't think I shot it enough. Okay. I don't think it was quite well broken in yet. And um, I don't know if I had the, you know, the rope that connects from the drop away to the string. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that was too long. And I did have the bow held back for a long time because he actually it's quite the story, actually. Um, it didn't just like I didn't just pull back and shot. 
it was, he was coming. I drew and my peep was turned. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, oh no. So I let up, I twisted my peep, I drew back and it was still turned. So I'm like, gosh, darn it. Well, I ended up trying, I was going to do it again. Cause I mean, my, yeah, it was yeah. quiet. It was quiet. And he was still just, he had no idea I was there. No clue. And I went to go let back up again and he heard it or saw it, saw it or something. So he instantly, he looks up at me and I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> so he was kind of spooked after that. He, he ended up just kind of moseying around but he kind of had his head down like he was getting spooked yeah. but at that time i had draw drawn back fully and he was going to turn like he was turning and then gonna bounce out yeah well, matted at him and he stopped right there perfect broadside and that's when i shot so, okay um and your peep, I, like, I didn't itself the peep was still kind of turned but, but I could still, still see my sight. Yeah, I, I use a quarter-inch size. Oh yeah. Anybody so, I mean, it's a bow long hole. enough knows exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, and especially with new strings too. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it takes a little bit, but um, so thought I hit him in the neck. The arrow didn't go all the way through, which was weird. I hit him in the neck, and the arrow didn't go all the way through. I did. I, yeah. And if I hit, hit, would have hit the juggler, he would have either dropped right there or bled out. Right. And, you know, not instantly, but um, quick. Um, so I go, I don't know if you want to hear this whole story or not. Um, I mean, I, I, I feel like the listeners would want to know what happened. I want okay. to know what happened. I mean, I okay. kind of know what I happened. Told you like I, the, I told you the setup and everything. I didn't know yeah. if you want to hear the whole story, but. Uh, I mean, so, um, well. In general, I mean, he he takes off, and essentially you end up like not being able to find him after hours and after hours, hours, hours of tracking. Yeah. Long yeah. story short, I'm trying to like get into detail, but you're like, <laughs> shut up, Scott. <laughs> no, but yeah, but oh, it's, it's like, I mean the the way it's set up and everything is is exactly how people think pre rut setups should work, mm -hmm. right? um right. is find a scrape outside of bedding have a camera on it you catch a buck coming around mid mid morning or whenever you catch them coming through there you set mm -hmm. up you wait for the right conditions you don't go in there until those conditions you wait for the right conditions you go in there you set up and he like magically appears Absolutely. um and there he is it you know um and that's not to say that that happens every time because you can have the perfect conditions and he could have just felt like bedding somewhere else that morning absolutely right i mean it's, so, it's chances you're willing to take it doesn't always happen that way right just, did you see i got lucky did you see any other deer that morning i oh, i don't remember i i've hunted quite a bit in the last week <laughs> um <laughs> no, I, I i'm almost i know i've seen deer i just can't remember what i've seen okay um because sometimes people he was start... definitely the the biggest deer he was yeah. the biggest buck I seen. Okay. Um, I think there was another two year old and a year and a half year old I seen that day with some okay. yeah. a doe, maybe. But uh not a lot of deer, but um 
he was definitely the third or fourth deer I seen. I think if I if I can go back and watch, yeah, no, it's cool. I have to watch the footage. The reason I ask is because sometimes those bucks seem to be like in areas that there aren't really other deer, like they're just like on their own, you know. Um, and that's what people always talk about. Mature bucks are just different. They don't, they're not a one and a half, they're not a two and a half, and they're not a doe, and they don't live with that group of deer. They live on their own and they do their own thing on their own schedule for what they have figured out and learned that keeps them safe. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but essentially, I mean, that's that's the that's the right way, or that's like the script way of getting set up on on a buck. And especially in Michigan, you know, Michigan generally is a high pressure state. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to, to, to have that all play out there is, is awesome. Um, and I think that's just something people can, people can take into account. And I think the biggest problem people have is not waiting for the right conditions. I know that's my biggest problem is not waiting for the right conditions. I just, I want to hunt, man. So I, mm-hmm. I want to go in there and I want to, I want to see, you know, um, and I think that's where using public land comes into play or different or multiple parcels. Like you can always go hunt. Like, yeah, if I, if I didn't, wasn't on a time crunch, I would be doing that, but I literally hunted. I, but I just didn't hunt my good spots on those bad days. I, I hunted right. if the weather was crappy, I hunted, if I had a bad wind direction for a certain spot, but I went to a different one that was decent for the other, yeah. you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, but don't go into your good spots on a bad wind. It just, it ain't worth it. A bad yeah. wind or like, you know, an off day or whatever it is like, mm-hmm. yeah. And I know like, and I use that tactic for sure. I have, I've hunted my piece of private once this year and I've, had the capability to hunt it for almost 50 days and i've hunted it once um and it's not necessarily only because it's like been poor conditions or whatever but Mm -hmm. um the public around my house is like an experimental grounds you know it doesn't like it doesn't matter if you go out there and bump deer or whatever like you're just like ah whatever like who cares you know and the other big thing is like even on public, I have spots that I don't touch until late October. And I only really figured those out by hunting from September through like November, like, I don't know, four days a week. Mm-hmm. And I just, I would go burn out those, those good spots early. I, and I would kill them early because I'd go in there all the time. I'm like, this is a good spot. This is a good spot. And I wouldn't see anything. And then the rut would roll around and I'd catch like one at dark, you know, mm-hmm. in those time because they already know like, Oh yeah, they're there. Or they'd come through and they'd look to where they think I would be. And yeah, I'd be there. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know? So like this year I didn't, this last weekend, I didn't touch any of my good spots until this last weekend. And in the morning I drew back on a real nice eight that I likely would have shot. I didn't get a great look at him, but when he looked at, I was on the ground moving from stand to stand and um, I got pushed out by some duck hunters. Like they've, I've never had duck hunters hunt this marsh before. And that morning I literally pulled up to him and I said, Hey, are you guys duck hunting or bow hunting? They're like, Oh, I were duck hunting. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm bow hunting. I'm going to go right back in here. They're like, all right, cool. I was like, sweet. 
And I went back in there and here they freaking come like 30 minutes after me. And I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> yeah. I was like, all right, well, I guess I didn't clarify, like, are you guys hunting here too? <laughs> so, I thought they were hunting the other side of the road, but yeah. whatever. So then at, they pushed two deer to me, which was kind of nice. Um, uh, two does and um, they kind of ran past me. So after they ran past me, I pulled my set and I was moving to the next spot and I got into, I just got to this tree. I was like, ah, I think I could get in this tree. I'm looking up at it. Like, yeah, it's going to be a hell of a climb, but yeah, I can make it. And, um, and then all of a sudden I hear them coming through the cattails and it was three does and a buck. The buck was grunting, pushing the does around, which was real cool. I was on the ground. They came into 25 yards that's got behind a big bush yeah and that i thought i was i thought i was solid but he was behind a bush like and i'm not talking like a little bush like this bush was probably like seven eight feet wide by like 10 feet tall he got behind that thing and i drew and i could see his legs it, it was only like the like the leaves started like three feet off the ground and i could see his legs and all i needed to do was take like four more steps three more steps and he just locked up and I was like, how in the hell did you see that? Like, there's no way, you know, and he's just locked up. And then, and then I just like, I was sat there for probably, I don't know, a minute. It's like, I don't know what the hell you're going to do. So I just slowly let down. And as soon as I let down, I sat there, boom, he just burned out of there. And he no knew, like, you know how, when you shoot a buck with a gun, they don't bound off. They just fucking run that's yeah. that's exactly what he, he did it. yeah oh he burned wow. out of there and the three does actually came back through <laughs> mm-hmm. later like 30 minutes later they came back your through. and your wind directions going a different way i mean did you have any did, did your wind switch at all no. or do you know i had perfect wind. you you think you yeah. think he you think you i think he had to have seen he had to have seen me or or heard me um I always feel like I'm loud because, you know, like even in all the hunting films, when people draw, you can hear them like oh, yeah. that arrow slide down that rest. Yeah. I don't know if you heard that or what, but I had to take and I had to take like half a step backwards because there was a branch in my way. But I don't I don't know. Anyway, I hadn't hunted that spot for the entire year just because I was kind of saving it for a good area, good time. And um, this was a good time. And so I tried it and I got on a buck and then in the evening I went and hunted. I have like three spots that are like my primo spots and I went and hunted the evening spot and I jumped a really nice one on the way in. So, and he was like 50 yards from where I was heading and I, and I didn't know that that was like, I came in a brand new entry cause I had a different wind than I always had. I only ever hunted this on a South wind, but I wanted, it was a North wind. So I wanted to come all the way around like the real far backside, like a J hook and hook back into this spot and hunt the same like pinch point just on the other side of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, And he was bedded back in there when I was doing that big J hook and I just couldn't, um, I I had no idea. (laughs) And he burned out of there. I got a, I got a quick look at him and I've likely another shooter. So, I mean, like for me, public land, two shooters in the same day, one in the morning, one in the evening. And I drew on one, like that's a pretty good day. <laughs> oh, that's a, that's a very good day, man. Yeah. Those, those sound like pretty cool encounters. Yeah. they Yeah. They were. And 
especially yeah, on the ground, um, man. That's dude. Yeah, ground encounters are insane. Dude, when I was on the ground in the in the morning, um, when the the doe came through, actually, and this is a point that I made on. I was gonna post a video on this. The first doe came through. And she worked her way around downwind of me and got to like 15 yards and just locked up and stared at me. And then mm-hmm. she blew and bounded off. Oh, really? And the other two does were 30 seconds behind her. And I could, I could see them when she was blowing. They didn't even give a damn. They didn't care at really? all. Yep. They did not huh. care. They just kind of looked at her like, ah, whatever. And they just kept coming right through. And, um, and I was kind of on the edge, like, it was a short, the grass that I was in was like three feet, two to three feet tall. And the like cattails grass they were in was probably like four feet tall, five feet tall. So I'm on this like point. And so they come in and then all of a sudden I hear a burp, burp. And then he comes running out of the, the tall grass cattails. I had not, I hadn't seen him yet. And I was like, oh shit, like it's a good buck. It's a buck for sure. <laughs> And then he pops up and I'm standing behind like some brushy trees, but I can still see him. And he looks right at me. And all I seen was his antlers were past his ears. And I was like, Oh yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's all I saw. And I was just like, this is awesome. Um, So yeah, I was just like, what do I do? What do I do? Like my camera was sitting there and and I had my tree arm hooked up to the tree, but I was Mm -hmm. like, didn't want to try to clip it into the, to the rest. And I was just like, well, I'm shooting this one off camera. (laughs) If happens. Hey man. Sometimes you got to just put yourself first. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. Like but, I, uh, I found it. I did find it wild that that doe blew out of there. The other two does didn't care. Neither did the buck. They just, I've seen that happen before. I have seen that. Um, not obviously not every time. Usually if a doe blows every, every deer runs, but I have seen that a couple of times where a deer blows and the other deer are like, what the heck are you blowing at, dude? <laughs> right but, uh, they must have like those deer must have like the personality of crying wolf like oh yeah. there's betty again yeah like crying at a raccoon like i'm not really worried about it <laughs> <laughs> i actually self-filmed a doe kill it was last year bow season i self-filmed a doe kill and i shot this doe while another doe was blowing at me <laughs> so like this doe was bl- actually i think I want to say the doe ran off and then I shot this other doe just staring like nonchalant. I mean, yeah, she was concerned of what was going on, but she didn't like book it with the other doe. She just stood yeah. there. So. Huh. Yeah, dude. It's, it's one of those things that it's like, just because a deer blows on you, it doesn't mean your hunts like totally over and done. Absolutely like, not. No. It can still happen, you know, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So that so, same morning I told you about my buck. Yeah. I had a doe before daylight blow at me for a good five, seven minutes. I was getting pissed. <laughs> I was so mad. Oh man. Yeah, Dude, I was in every... the tree. Just listen, listen to a doe blow for five at least five minutes. And I, you know, obviously, oh, like you had said it doesn't ruin your hunt. But. right but it just makes you want to like where is a rifle right now shut up <laughs> yeah exactly like if i had a night yeah. vision scope i would have no i'm just kidding <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah. yeah so um okay so essentially that's like pre-rut 
you know, if you're hunting pre-rut yet, it's November 2nd. If you got pre-rut for another month or another week or so, find those scrapes outside of bedding areas. That seems to be like the key, especially on, on public or private. Cause yeah, I mean, my encounters both on the public were both centered around actually the, the first morning was centered around a big patch of poplars. The reason I like this spot is poplar trees mm-hmm. and all of them have rubs on them every year. Like oh, yeah. there's, you know, it's just like, a, uh, the ground is so soft that the deer don't make a scrape there really, but it's a nice point to say like, you know, here's a little beacon to come in and check this out. So I feel like the bucks just use it like a scrape, but there's about yeah. 20 poplars there and every single one of them has a rub on them. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So that was the morning. And then the evening where that other big buck was, um, there was, he had, he had freshly made a scrape. Like literally after I jumped him, I took four steps and there was the scrape, like probably oh, 10 yeah. yards from his bed. And it was oh, wow. very, very fresh. And, yeah. um, and it was, I was probably like 50 yards off a of private and there was a trail going directly to the private, which is a big like CRP swamp area. So he must've uh-huh. come off there hit that scrape, made it, and then laid down right there, right next to it. Oh, man. Um, but it, again, obvious, obviously right outside of bedding, because that was his bed, um, laying in a down tree. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that that pre-rut time frame, man, those, those scrapes or that buck sign and close to bedding areas is, it seems to be the place to be. There is something I want to add. That was kind of more like a is it's a pre-rut pre-rut like that that time frame i had set up in that situation was like a pre-rut pre-rut was that um, like, what do you remember the date it was the 19th okay What's the date today 27th oh okay so my days are messed up i probably had the day messed up but it was monday it was last monday it was okay. it was the 19th i don't even know what today is that's nice when you're on vacation like that <laughs> vacation come on oh i guess i am kind of on vacation i still work from home too so when i'm not gone oh when, when you're I'm not, not gone every day <laughs> supposed to be <laughs> um yeah but, uh, last there... monday was the 19th yeah and for me yeah. like that's really kind of i would consider that the pre-rot yeah but people have different windows for what they consider that because some people think like I mean, Aaron Warbritton of the hunting public, he thinks mm-hmm. the pre-rut starts October 1st. He's like, well, it kind of starts like October 1st and rolls through the whole month. I honestly, it's, like, it's, like it's right. I mean, I, that's, I think he's right. I mean, if you think about it and this is what I was trying to get to is a mature buck. It's pre-rut is still pretty patternable. If you think about it, they're yeah. still in their bedding areas. They're not out running around crazy like these little ones are right now like right now the pre-rut you know is going on when the little ones are running around you know yeah for sure those the best this is why i like the pre-rut hunting the pre-rut is because the mature bucks aren't running around going crazy looking for that first doe they're uh they're being pretty smart about it and that's when and that's another thing i like to focus on is uh downwind of doe bedding areas um later morning because what i have found um is mature deer getting up from bed you know um and then scent checking 
doe bedding areas to find that first available doe sure. in estrus. Um, so that would be another thing I would focus on is downwind of doe bedding and yeah. scrapes outside of bedding for sure. Yeah. No, that was... yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, when you say like bucks getting up from bed, is that generally like an evening or is that anytime Usually or... later morning like later morning yeah or mid-morning anywhere from 10 a.m to 2 p.m okay um in the pre-rut in the pre-rut yeah okay yep. you're the first person i've had on to say that but but i will say that something that so after i had the podcast with aaron warbritton like four days later he killed a really nice buck at about uh-huh. like 9 a.m or so and it was in its bed all morning until about nine then it was leaving to go somewhere else and in the video he, he goes probably... you know what we really have good success with mature bucks mid-morning in the pre-rut which that's because they're they're smart dude they're trying to find that first available you know i wanted to say another word (laughs) (laughs) right there yeah they're they're trying to find that uh that hot one (laughs) yeah but no i think we i mean to a certain extent i think we give mature bucks a little bit too much credit but they are smart animals Mm -hmm. and i can't remember i think i said it on a different podcast before um I think that they know when hunters leave, like, you know, they, they try to figure out their predators. Right. Yeah. And I think that's what makes them get up from bed mid morning. I think they sense or watch you walk out of the woods or I don't know. I'm I'm just, this is, I don't know if that's true or not. It's just what I believe. in. I think I, I mean, if, if you've lived for five years, six years, and you have the the greatest threat to your life you know right away in the morning or Mm -hmm. the last hour of light you get a little bit more cautious around those times when you don't have a lot of threats in the middle of the day you get a little bit more relaxed so i think that's probably a better way to put it i mean i said hunters but (laughs) no 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 i'm just i'm just trying to put it in my own words yeah no but that that i mean if you think about it that would make sense and Mm -hmm. also uh, my thought on that is and i don't i'm i'm not an all-day sitter i'm not a late morning sit guy which i need to start doing more of but like if you've been out all night partying like you kind of want to relax for a couple hours before you go try to party again right so essentially um you know you get like the the those bucks will come back in my mind They'll lay down from 5 a.m. to 8.30, 9 a.m. And then they're like, all right, I've relaxed. I've got some water. I've got some food. Let's go see if, you know, you know, I don't know. This these does are in heat over here. Let's go, mm-hmm. let's go check them out. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's what they do. I don't, I don't know. But if I mean, if you're having success, I what can what can deny that? <laughs> you know? Right. Can't talk against it. Right. No, downwind of doe bedding is by far probably one of my favorite tactics to use during the pre-rut. Yeah. So, um, so then moving 
do you have anything else to add to the pre-rut or do you want to move on to the rut? I think that's it. I, I, I think for listeners, I think pre-rut is your best opportunity to kill your target buck before they go run wild. Not, not that they run wild, but they do, you know, they cover go out the of their boundaries. Oh, yeah. yeah. They, yeah. they cover a lot more ground during the actual rut when there's a lot of does and estrus. So if you want to kill your target buck, get it done in pre-rut, figure out what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sit over a scrape, sit down with a dope downwind of a doe bedding area. And, uh, uh, you should have some success. Right. So, and that's actually, I mean, that's not an awful tactic to use in November either. You know, Absolutely there's much not. worse tactics to use, but, um, but especially downwind of bedding areas, like that one's going to work all through until gun season rolls in, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. du- bo- bucks will still be checking for does every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, downwind of bedding areas. And if you can, so when I, I, so one of the things that I always struggled with, but like in my earlier years of hunting, is I would try to find a bedding area and I've kind of covered what bedding areas are multiple times. So um, if, if anyone listening has questions on that, like it's essentially high stem count areas that you don't want to go into, essentially has deer trails going into this and you look at it and you don't want to walk in there. That's essentially a bedding area. Um, do it during the spring. <laughs> yeah, do it, do it in March. Go back in March and go, all right, is this a bedding area? You walk in there and there's big holes in the snow. That's a bedding area. <laughs> Yeah. Um, that's one of the nice things about being in north in the north is you got snow and, and snow. Same with Michigan. Old. March is always like that too. I mean yeah. I I don't necessarily just wait till March. I actually will do it in January, February. Um, but yeah, with snow on the ground, it's very easy to tell where they're betting. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I was gonna say one of the the things that I used to struggle with was I would sit too close to the bedding. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would have bucks still being able to get downwind of me. Mm-hmm. So like what you want to do is find, like, if you find a bedding area and you generally, like when you find that bedding area, you're going to know what your best access is. Like, are you going to access from the North? Or are you going to access from the South, the East, the West, whatever it is, then you need to set up for like that wind and you need to like, okay, if, if I'm coming in from the East, I'm going to have a west wind that's going to be positive for me. That's going to be the downside of this bedding area. So that that trail that's on the east side of that bedding area that's 10 yards off or 15 yards off the bedding area, I need to be another 20 yards off of it or 30 yards off of that trail Mm -hmm. so that I'm actually like 40 to 50 yards from that bedding area, but I'm only 30 yards from the trail. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and I was getting right on that trail. So then the deer would kind of essentially like come up the trail and they'd look right at me as they're coming up and be like, shit, I'm too close. So you, I see you were, okay. So you, right. after that, you were setting 30 yards from that trail they were walking down. Yeah. So then essentially that's, that's how I started direction. structuring it was mm-hmm. I, I didn't hunt the bedding area. I hunted the trails around the bedding area yeah. because that's, the, that's what the deer are going to use. Like a lot of times, Super. like they're not going to, go straight in there like if it's a big thicket they'll like just kind of work the edge of it all the way around mm-hmm. um and sometimes you know bucks like they could they could probably smell a hot doe from 100 yards and they don't need mm-hmm. to be 10 yards from her to figure it out so yeah. like i had i i remember a, a haunt a few years ago i was 
God, probably like 80 to 90 yards from the, from the point of this like kind of marshy Island area. And I knew that was where the does were. I watched them go in that morning and I knew they were in there and I had a buck. I was about 90 yards from there and I had a buck come within 40. He bedded down at 40 yards in front of me and he's two drop tines and I couldn't shoot him. Like I couldn't, it was so thick. Yeah. Yeah. The drop tines were granted. They were like two inches or three inches each, but they were still two drop tines, <laughs> one on each side. And I, yeah. And he bedded at 42 yards and I couldn't, I couldn't get a shot at him. And he ended up uh, a spike ended up getting in on those does and pushed them out, pushed yeah. like three of them out. And then it was all freaking chaos for like a half hour. And they never came closer than 30 yards and I could watch them in this thick stuff and mm -hmm. i couldn't get like i just they never came close enough and i never really had the opportunity to get down out of my tree and kind of get a sneak in on them or anything and i had to watch that deer walk out of my life <laughs> it, it's sad but it's it should motivate you a little more i mean that's that's a, a success in my part you know in my book that's to be able to get in your get yourself in that situation is yeah i was what I mean? literally i remember it like it was yesterday because i was literally texting my friend i was like dude this spot should be money i don't know why it's oh my god there's a double drop time buck just bedded down in front of me <laughs> like um holy cow he, man he was 50 he was 50 yards off, off the bedding area yeah. so like and he was not using the trail i was expecting at all um okay. so and that opened my eyes to a new trail that obviously mature deer like to use so i yeah. kind of set up now i set up in a way that if a deer comes in on that trail i can i can shoot them there you go anyway that tactic works that tactic was i think that was like november 9th or 10th mm -hmm. so i yeah. mean downwind of bedding yeah absolutely um, i mean I, I essentially i i don't get to a lot of i don't get to hunt a lot during the rut <laughs> are so you that's why i'm just filming all the time i'm filming basically all yeah. rut so um but yeah i mean rut basically is the same thing hunt, i mean hunt you, down with so, no bedding i mean you could literally be sitting anywhere and get lucky and shoot the buck of your life that you've never seen before during the rut but yeah essentially yeah. if you want to actually have a tactic it would definitely be sit down with a doe bedding and yeah. um obviously known travel routes i know um like where i'm hunting the lease i hunt it's all you know rolling hills river bottom i know they like to travel i mean this is probably during pre-rut too but they travel a lot of leeward um hills so rather than um running on top of the flat trying to set a bedding area yeah. they'll run like the top two-third of the hill rather than getting up in there does that make sense no it um, makes it makes total sense and i think that's so one of the podcasts i did like a while back and i still get messages on it is satellite scouting and and like scouting on onyx mm -hmm. and how you can do it and how you can figure things out and i still get people ask like messaging me hey here's a here's a satellite map can you help me like look at this and seems like nine times out of ten if they're on rolling hills like that they're sitting on the flats on the top and that's their that's their problem is they yep. need to be on that hillside 
Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I, I totally agree because that when they, when they go along that hillside, it gives them the opportunity to stay in cover and they don't mm-hmm. feel as exposed and they can smell pretty much everything coming over the top. Or if they position themselves to smell everything coming up from the bottom, depending on what they want to look at and how they want to travel it. But even up, like they can see everything down below them. And if they want to peek up over the ridge, they can go up there and peek up over and not have a whole lot of exposure and then drop right back down and keep rolling. Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know? One of the things, one of the questions I always ha- ask myself is, and it's something that I've noticed, and I'm sure you noticed too, is like deer trails are n- rarely like straight up a hill. They're almost always diagonal. Oh yeah. I mean, think about it when we're walking and I, I mean, I scout these rolling hills all the time. So when you walk, you don't want to go straight up. You kind of follow a deer trail, you know what I mean? You try to anyway. Um, But yeah, I mean that you'll notice with deer. I mean, obviously you do notice with deer um, that they will travel with a spot of least resistance so if there's a big bush right there they're not they're not going to go through the big bush they're going to take the easy way out if there's a down log that's you know five six foot high they're either going to go under it or they're going to find a different way i shouldn't say five or six because they could easily go under that so let's say three and a half foot (laughs) instead of jumping it they'll go around it it I understand what you're talking about, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I know what's going on in my head, but I just have trouble explaining it. Yeah. No, no, man. I get it. I'm sure the listeners do too. It's like you say, it's the path of least resistance. Like you're they're not trying to a lot of times, I mean, we think when we're when we're walking and we're scouting and everything like we tend to think in like squares right i mean mm-hmm. humans in general like nice squares and um like pack packing things up and organization and squares fit really nice together circles don't mm-hmm. don't find squares in nature at all like everything's mm-hmm. everything's kind of circular and everything is um essentially based like all the deer trails, I'm, I'm trying to tie this all together here. I, I promise. No, I get deer it. trails um, work in conjunction with the land, like you're saying, in the path of least resistance. And a lot of times when we're scouting, we want to go like from the river bottom to the top of the ridge. And we just want to mm-hmm. go straight up the top. But you're like, you never find a deer trail doing that because the deer trail, the deer don't like, they don't think that way. They're not like, I want to go from here to here. They're they're generally, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. Like I'm, I'm having a hard time getting this out of my head too. They're lazy. But yeah. They're well, they're working the landscape to their advantage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're lazy. And now that you say that, yeah. I mean, I don't always walk like a deer does on a hill. Yeah. I will only do it if it's a steep hill. If yeah. it's very steep, I'm not going to try to run down or anything. I'm definitely going <laughs> to you know, hold on to trees and kind of sidestep, you know, on a diagonal. I guess that's what I meant by using those hills. It all depends on how steep it is. But yes, I get what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying. 
I don't, but I do think like going straight up and down those ridges, if you are in like ridge country or hill country, like that's a great way to cross a deer trail and figure out where a deer trail is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just taking a straight line and going, all right, there's got to be Absolutely. one on this hillside somewhere. You're going to find at least two, yeah. one or two. Yeah. You're going to find like probably an upper, one on the lower, lower third and, and the, one up in the, the third. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. So then one of the other questions I, I have is, um, and we'll like, aside from doe bedding areas, I feel like there's some other rough rut tactics to talk about, but, uh, do you ever notice like when you're filming these people and, and getting out with them, like, are they doing anything unexpected or different than you would think? Or, or how does that like set up? Are you just like, the hunting I film is a little easier than what it would be at home as far as hunting okay. goes. Um, Wait, that's you're basically telling me that TV shows have easier hunting than the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I spent a lot of my November in Kansas last year. So yeah, I'm in a state where you're in a tree and there's not a lot of trees. So the last place a deer is going to think you're at is in a tree. They don't (laughs) look at you. They have no idea you're there. The only, the only idea they're going to have if you're there is if they get downwind of you and they sent, they smell you. Yeah, but I've also witnessed mature bucks get downwind, smell you, and still eat their corn. <laughs> Not really give a shit. <laughs> right. Oh, so yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's definitely a whole new ball game, man. It's uh, and it, it's kind of hard to. I don't. I don't think I can give you any tactics on any based on out that. Of, yeah, like okay, it's different hunting, man. I mean, um. Yeah, I don't really have anything other than hunting. I mean, in Kansas, hunt a lot of ridges and uh, you call them crick bottoms. They're not really crick bottoms. (laughs) Um, And uh, walnut, or not walnut trees. What are those trees called? They're big trees. Willow tree? I don't know. Anyways, I don't know. Cottonwood. Yeah. cottonwood tree yep cottonwood. that's what it is um um and it's yeah, it's no. a lot of I'm sorry go ahead oh I was, I was i was just gonna say and that's not like i didn't mean to put you on i've never asked you that question before so anybody listening like it's not like i set scott up to <laughs> to say that or anything <laughs> um but i think i think one of the one of the things to have a little empathy for those hunters and it's not necessarily like a dig at the at the TV hunting personalities because their job, like literally their job is to put out 13 episodes. So like, it's not like, like, it's not like they can just go out on public land and have like have a variety of success. You know, that's why, I mean, the hunting public has seven guys, they travel all over and they, a ton of their footage is not success, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And people whose lives depend on having success like they're going to stack the odds in their favor. Mm -hmm. Right. So having a little empathy for that, that's my, my opinion on it. And the biggest thing is that like, it is, it is some entertainment value. There is some tactics there and some information to gain from that. But at the same time, like 
wherever you're hunting and whatever your your situation is find people who are successful in similar situations to you and learn mm-hmm. from them mm-hmm. like that's that's the best way to go about it like you know if if you're in michigan hunting public land around detroit don't try to get your tactics from someone hunting kansas on a tv show it's not it's not even close to the same thing and you're going to hate yourself for even thinking about it and that's why so many people on public land even in wisconsin hunt hunt field edges and they don't see anything mm-hmm. and i'm like well yeah it's not <laughs> you're not same thing to- on michigan public man it's you'll see a lot of hunters set up on field edges yeah you're just you're you're just not it's it's very if you do it's it's a very rare occasion and you got really yeah. lucky yeah um but yeah that's that'd be my best best tip is like you know have some empathy for these guys enjoy the content they put out enjoy the entertainment value of it enjoy the personalities like michael waddell he's an amazing dude like he's really fun same with t-bone super nice guy i really enjoy talking to him um but also understand that like they're their hunting is a little bit different than what your situation is and mm-hmm. find those. I've found a lot of success actually making friends with people in the parking lot, you know, oh, for yeah. the first, like for the first year or so you run into them, you both are like kind of exchanging lies, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where are you going? I'm going over here. <laughs> Did you see anything? No, What'd you see you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Not a damn thing. There's nothing else. Same, there. No different than fish. Right. You know? But eventually like those lies turn into truths and you start becoming friends and maybe then you have, you have help like, and you're both out there in it together. These people you meet and stuff like that. I know I've had mm-hmm. that personally and, and I still have relationships with people that I run into and talk to mm-hmm. and just, it help it helps, you know, when yeah, there's two people definitely. hunting, you know, a few hundred acres versus one. Oh yeah. No, that's a great tip for sure. Um, yeah. So Anyway, all right. So off that question, I suppose, what about like other rut? If you were hunting the rut, I know you don't get to hunt the rut, but if you were other than hunting downwind of bedding areas, you know, would you target like pinch points or, or funnels or, or, you know, fields or what would you do? Get in a tree. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best advice. Be in a tree. No, I mean, find out where they're traveling yeah find funnels pinch points anything that leads from bedding to uh dough bedding or to food because they're so okay. gotta eat too so yeah. got it do you um, ever have you ever like wanted the rut and sat like a picked cornfield and had success i don't recall ever sitting on a corn uh, I, I lied i lied um yes i mean you you can sit field edges and watch mature bucks come out during daylight and chase does i mean i've seen it before for sure um like cut corn i've seen it um firsthand and cut corn i've never had success on it but i have seen it so i think that is that is one of those i mean that's a great point because i've seen it too but i've never had success on it Mm-hmm. So it's kind of one of those things where like, if you're on, let's just say an 80 acre, a hundred acre cornfield, the odds of them coming out in the exact spot and getting within 30 yards of you are pretty slim. 
mm-hmm. you might see a lot and you might have a lot of like, dude, I saw this giant today and, but they might never come to you. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, maybe. You your tree stand and they come out in a different spot the next day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, secluded food plots, you know, a, a food plot that you do have access to. And I mean, deer are going to be feeding out there. I mean, um, or does you're going to have bucks come out there and check it out and chase yeah. them around. I mean, the rut is, uh, I love the rut, but it's hard to predict. So I just try to put myself in a situation where I know they're going to be traveling this route to go check this out, or sure. I'm going to sit in between this bedding area because and this other doe bedding area because i know this buck is going to come try to found find a doe yeah an estrus yeah, yeah i don't know that it, it's hard to predict the rut like that's why i mean i was kind of being serious but and i kind of wasn't but i mean you definitely just want to you want to hunt i mean no, granted, I, you dude, that, just, like <laughs> that's you're not that's just the gonna best thing just, about the rut <laughs> right and granted you can't you you have a chance absolutely um and granted you're not gonna just find any tree you know without doing your due diligence and scouting and stuff and and you're not always gonna have success but there is always an opportunity if you're in a tree yeah do you ever um have you ever had situations like yourself or someone you've been filming with where calling or rattling your decoys like really help oh yeah 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 and i guess that's something i should touch on is calling obviously calling yeah yeah. um i i don't do a whole lot of blind calling i'll do like a rattling sequence every so often if i'm not if i'm having a slow day i'll do like a rattling sequence every half hour or so and i've had deer come running in after a rattling sequence so definitely and i don't know how i didn't bring that up uh, definitely <laughs> calling <laughs> calling is definitely a, a a go for uh the rut um i've had bad experience blind calling that's kind of why i don't do it often um i've called when i've had deer or a buck like 15 yards 20 yards from me and then you get spooked or they get spooked so oh, I, I've kind of learned my lessons or if I do blind call, I don't do it a lot. I'll make sure nothing is around because <laughs> I mean take a big, big look around before you blow yeah, into that ground yeah. tube. Absolutely. No, I mean, I wish I could give you a better and more detail about the rut, but quite honestly, like like I said, I don't hunt it much. And from what I have experienced hunting the rut, that's what I do. Uh, that yeah. 80% of my success is in the rut. <laughs> so <laughs> if you see a buck out and about, grunt at him. Um, if he gets your attention, if you get his attention, leave it alone. He heard you. He knows you're there. Don't overdo it. I've learned my that lesson that great, way. That is a great point. Um, and something I think a lot of people might struggle with is like, if they snap their head and they look at you or look in your direction, they heard you. Yeah. And even if they put their head down and start walking like somewhere else, you might still like 
to the inexperienced person, they might be like, oh, shoot, he might have not heard me completely. So I need to grunt a lot more mm-hmm. at him. He, If he looked at you, he, it's very likely. I'm not saying every time, but it's very likely he knows you're there. And he's probably trying to circle downwind to you to see what the hell you are. Yeah, that's probably what he's up to. 10% of the time, maybe they'll come on a beeline towards you. And I've had that happen before, too. They come on a beeline and what's over there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like you said, they definitely try to get downwind and see what's going on. But if they're horny enough and they don't care, <laughs> coming in. be ready. Have that bow ready. Especially if they're right there, I'd have your the bow in your hand too because uh, okay they could they could be there in a pinch right after yeah. you call all right um, Do you ever have you ever used a decoy or anything no like no that? decoys no? okay no no decoys um not obviously they work i've seen them firsthand work um i just already have too much to carry <laughs> so, <laughs> i'm sure you can buy one of those fold-up decoys and i don't know i i know they work i've seen them work um but i i don't use them yeah i i should i should start using them. i man it's i have i have a friend of mine and then i talked to uh mike hunsucker the other day mm-hmm. And he is a big decoy fan. And he's like, dude, yeah. you need to get after we got off the podcast. That's the first thing he said to me. It's like, how do you not have a decoy? Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm like, I, I don't know. He's like, dude, uh, you need to get a decoy. I'll just start ditching the camera equipment and stop self-filming <laughs> and so I'll bring it. Yeah, that's I mean, I maybe that's something we could touch on. So um actually. I want to cover, I want to cover one more topic. And then for anybody who doesn't care or for everybody who does care, we'll touch on camera equipment. Um, so full day, full day sits is the topic I want to cover real quick, which is, you know, are you guys, when you're in the rut, are you guys sitting all day, every day in the exact same tree or are you popping down and moving around or what are you doing? When I'm filming or when you're hunting and when I'm hunting, um, it depends. I've done both. I've sat okay. in the same tree. Um, I've sat in a tree all day without getting down. I've sat in the same tree getting down a couple times, um, <laughs> which I don't advise you doing that. <laughs> that's a whole different story. But, uh, um, but and yes, I have switched locations too. But uh, and actually, I'm I'm kind of going through um, what I normally do during southern ohio hunts because back before i filmed that's when i would go to ohio i'd hunt southern ohio so um but as far as filming goes and work um i did a few all day sits and we had never switched stand locations we always sat the same stand okay so and but granted i mean there wasn't there wasn't a lot of stand choices like sure there was but there wasn't a lot of good stand choices like they're all good but the best you know they no, want so to what the best yeah what makes do you know off the top of your head like what makes those good stands for a full day set what are uh, the parameters for that funnel areas uh, i'll give one example um 
Southern Ohio. I hunt a creek bottom in Southern Ohio too. Uh, it's been a few years since I've been there, but uh, so you got ag, which is normally cut corn or cut beans, and then you got thick stuff. So mm -hmm. it, it can be bedding, um, but there's also like a ditch, and I know deer like to travel through there. Um, and then there's a creek. So I basically sit right up on the ditch and I'll watch bucks all day cruise through there. So I mean, not I'm all sorry. day. So it's, it's egg and then a big wall of thickness and then a mm -hmm. ditch with, I mean, a it's not, it? it's not or, a, okay. So it's ag, there's yeah. a ditch. Like, okay. So there's an ag, there's a hill. Gotcha. And then it turns into a ditch. Okay. Does that makes sense. Yeah. And then it comes back up and you got a good 40 yards, sometimes 80 yards to the creek. Oh, so I like to sit in between the ag and the river bottom. And then, then that's where they funnel is in that ditch. And they just run that's that like ditch line. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's okay. my number one spot. <clears throat> and granted, I mean, it, it's my dad and I that hunt it this particular piece in Ohio. So, um, there's not a lot of, um, stand location areas. So there's not a lot of choices to go, but, uh, what, that's what normally. Think, yeah. What do you think makes the deer like cruise that all day? Like, what are the, what are the parameters around that? That's like, so essentially, I mean, you're, it sounds to me like you're sitting in a random spot and you're seeing deer just all day running this ditch. Mm -hmm. Why do you think they're in there? What do you think they're doing? Uh, scent checking does. Scent checking like that, that big thickness. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, what typically what happens is the way they're running is perpendicular with what way the wind's blowing. So they're, they're running this ditch trying to scent check a doe bedding area across the egg is what I believe anyway. Yeah. So I think what they're doing is running, cruising this, and then coming downwind from the doe bedding is what they're scent checking. Gotcha. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you got wind coming this way, you got deer running this way. Right. So you got wind, wind coming from anyone, for anybody listening. North. Wind coming, wind coming from, from, the, from north, the north. The north and west or east. Yep. Okay. West, west to east or east to west. I think that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you're seeing them do it, that's what they're doing. Yeah. And I, yeah. I, I think that makes sense. I mean, if you have like one of the things that I like to do on satellite maps is kind of like I'll pull up Onyx and when I find bedding areas, I'll drop a little pin on them. And then you can actually kind of play connect the dots. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you ever sit down and just look at all those kind of bedding areas, play connect the dots and go, if I were a buck looking for does and I started generally in this area, where would I go? Right. And mm -hmm. if you found those doe bedding areas, you can connect the dots and you can pretty much figure out at least in general, what kind of path they're going to take. You mm -hmm. may be off by 50, 80, a hundred yards, but at least like you're going to be going, okay, if there's a North wind, they're going to go from probably this bedding area over to this one, over to this one, over to this one, you know, and they're probably going to be on the downwind side of the side of these. So if I were to hunt this, if I hunt, you know, if I get too close to this bedding area, I'm probably going to jump some deer. 
I can hunt this bedding area and I can access from the South. So with a North wind, I got the wind in my favor the whole time and I can get set up on the downwind side of this bedding area. And it's likely bucks will be cruising this. So mm-hmm. like, I like to do that and it's helped me a lot with bedding areas. And it's also helped me a lot with scrapes. Um, because I've, I also play connect the dots with scrapes because if uh, bucks come out of a bedding area and they want to do like a scrape line, like it's okay. Where are they going to, what scrape are they going to hit first? What, what are they going to go to second? And what are they going to go to third? And sometimes they skip one. I, you know, they do crazy shit, but it at least helps me get an idea as to like what path they're going to travel at least. And that's like, that's the hardest thing is like, okay, they're betting here, but are they going to leave going North? Are they going to leave going South? Are they going to leave going East or West? Or are they even betting here? I I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> you know, I know, exactly um, I, I know they kind of bet here, but this might be one of 18 beds that they have that they like to use. So hopefully this is the one in 18 chance that they're here today. Mm-hmm. Like at some point luck comes into it, but you just got to, try to stack odds in your favor as much as you can. And if you got a 5% chance, that's a hell of a good chance. Hell yeah. Com- <laughs> compared to Absolutely. most people Especially are like under 1%. Under I wa- I listened to a podcast. <clears throat> I think it was with uh, Cody D'Aquisto. Oh yeah. And I will never forget the saying. He said, if you don't feel confident in the stand, then get the fuck down. And I, <laughs> I, I hold that. Like I, I play that in my head. Every time I climb into the tree, I'm like, do I feel good about this spot? You know what I mean? I don't, mm-hmm. if I don't have that hundred percent confidence, obviously I don't get the fuck down. I just, I play this in my head mm-hmm. beforehand too. So like, I'll try to ask myself if I'm confident in that spot. You know what I mean? Cause yeah. I think confidence has a huge, um play in it and you're only going to get that confidence if you do your due diligence and your scouting and you know looking at maps and stuff like that so i think if you want success no matter what type of phase it is pre-rut early season rut just get out there (laughs) and learn it i mean we all hunt different stuff and the best thing to do is to get out and learn your area, learn what you're hunting, because not all deer are, I mean, they're the same, but they're not all going to do the same thing, you know, as a different area. Like, not all terrain is yeah, I, I totally get it, Scott. I, I, I get what you're saying. I see you kind of struggling there. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just, hey, man, I'm not I'm struggling. Not I thought I was doing pretty good. <laughs> No, 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 I, no, no, I didn't mean to say that. But like, no, uh, God dang it. <laughs> um, the, uh, I, I totally understand. Like you need to learn your area for mm-hmm. sure all day, every day. Yeah. And just because like the deer travel that ditch on that piece in Southern Ohio doesn't mean they're going to do it in Northern Michigan. Like it, it doesn't right. at all. Like it's, yeah. it just, it's an, it's an idea and a concept that, that generally is transferable, but sometimes it isn't. And like, like you say, the best way to do it is to get out and scout, man. 
Cause mm-hmm. the way that I personally, I don't know about you, but the way that I, well, I know it's you. Cause you said this earlier, you're like, I covered your lease head to toe multiple times because okay. then you know all the different areas and you know where these deer are going to be. And once you like really truly scout a spot and, and a piece and you know it like the back of your hand, you know where those, where the best spots are, you know, you get all the confidence of, well, this is the, this is the best pinch on this entire property. Like this is where I'm going to sit all day. And this is the, I have confidence in it because I've already looked over every other hill. I've already Mm -hmm. looked over every other nook and cranny, every other ditch. I know that there's nothing better out there. So I know this is where I need to be. And I think that a lot of that is done in that January, February, March timeframe, April mm-hmm. timeframe, where you're just where you can see everything and yeah. doesn't matter if you bump deer, no one else is out there. You get to really just go cruise and you put in four or five, six hours and you just learn a piece. Yeah, exactly. The good yeah. thing, what I like about that particular spot is what what the lease. Um, it's not really known for a lot of travel during the off season. Like they don't start funneling in there until late September, October. So when it comes to shed hunting, it gets a little hard, but when I'm in there scouting, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm not bumping them out either. So sure. it's a win. So, yeah. Uh, that's cool. Um, Quick. Uh, can you hear this? Yeah. yeah. Okay. You can. Mm-hmm. So this mic is working. Yeah. Okay, cool. Cause I did a podcast last week with six packs and I thought I was using my zoom mic the whole time, but it was literally yeah. picking up audio from my computer. Oh, so yeah, no, no. I was just making can't. sure, I guess, obviously at this point, <laughs> we're, we're, we're two hours done. in. So yeah. And we're almost done. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that's it for like kind of the, the pre-rut and rut segment. I'm going to ask Scott about a few camera questions. If any of you guys want to stick around, um, I'm sure a lot of people are getting into self-filming. I get questions about it all the time. So what are you, what are you running, man? What's your, what's your gear? Yeah. I run a Sony a seven actually, which is actually oh. a mirrorless camera. Um, it's not your easy handheld flip screen you got the push button to zoom um i don't want yeah handy cam yep yep um i definitely wouldn't recommend if you're just starting to get into self-filming getting one i mean yeah do it if you're wanting to do pictures and video at the same time but if you're just wanting to get footage and good footage there are very good handy cams out there or yeah you know good cameras that you can get for the same price if not cheaper and have just as good quality video quality so um but yeah so i use a a a7 III um i use a couple different lenses i have a 24 to 240 um it's a sony lens yeah um that's my go-to for tree stand hunting so um the thing what i like about or is that a three, is that a three, five to five, six? It's a three, five to five, six. Okay. Um, but I won't get too technical with like the settings and all that, obviously, but I'll just, um, so the, the 24 to two forty. <clears throat> um, 
obviously he goes from 24 to 240 focal length. But the A7 III, what I like about it is it has the crop sensor that you can do with a push a button. So it basically turns your 224 to 240 into a, what is it? It's It times it by 1.4 or 1.5. Um, I'm not good at math. So it's it's uh, like, it comes to like 40 like a, something yeah. millimeter to about like a 300. Yeah. So I can reach out there. Upper really. three, yeah. So um, that just helps the zoom a little bit. Um, you lose you lose a little bit of quality when you do that, right? With pictures, you don't. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Maybe just a little bit with video, but I I don't notice it. All honestly. right. I'll talk to you about that because I filmed. So I have an I have an A7 III as well. And mm -hmm. I, I filmed Turkey Hunt and I, and I, you can customize buttons on the A7 III. So I swapped to crop and that footage just didn't look as crisp as the footage I had when I wasn't in crop. So I kind of just quit using it, but that was the one time I ever did it. So I really, sh I should putz around with it a little bit more. I have, I haven't really noticed a Any huge difference. Okay. And, and maybe if you're, no, it could have been bad filming. Like I could have just been out of focus at that point. Yeah, you know what I mean? Okay. Like it could have totally been me. So yeah. um, I would, uh, I'm sure you probably have watched it, but Dylan with the breaking point has a really good video on his like shortcuts on buttons mm -hmm. and stuff that he uses. Have yeah. You watch that. Yeah. Okay. Do you yeah. know, like, okay. So you can like, when you're looking at your screen and you're recording, you can zoom in to make sure whatever you're looking at is in focus. Yeah, I, I, call know, it. I know exactly what you're talking about. I don't have it set up on my camera, but. Set that up. Yeah, okay. Because that will really, because you can literally zoom in. Actually, you can, if you want to see how many points a buck has and he's 200 yards, not maybe, two, okay, 100, 120 yards yeah. away and you want to see like exactly what he has for a frame and how many points, you can use that and literally zoom in and tell by that but anyway that's how i ever since i watched that video i that's how i make sure when i'm using manual focus that it's in focus that that so, object yeah. is in focus so i mean i'm not saying that you were out of focus and i'm not it's okay <laughs> but, it's likely yeah, i was out but, of focus but that's that's a pretty neat uh shortcut there but uh yeah um, as far as equipment, going on with equipment, I have <clears throat> a fourth arrow camera arm. Okay. Oh, I've got a 24 to 70 lens too. Okay. Um, it's a Sony. That's that's a 2.8 lens. That's actually a really good lens. Yeah. Um, I haven't been using it a lot just because I just got it a few months ago, and I've been slacking on the photos, man. Like. I, I just been slacking like I love photography and yeah stuff like yeah. that and I still take photos I have to for work but I need to start taking more like personal photos again and and I really love that lens and I need to start you know putting myself out there doing that anyways um but yeah I've got the fourth arrow carbon camera arm I've got the Manfrotto it's the MO2AH or something like that. Camera um, head, fluid head. The camera head, yeah, yeah, fluid head. Um, 
it, it's a little heavy for a, a smaller camera arm. So I had, I would advise to anybody getting a smaller fluid head. It's a beautiful fluid head for like a tripod. So a heavy right. tripod. Um, I've got a drone Mavic. Um, what do you run I've for got, like audio? Do you just put a shotgun mic on top? Or do you no, run? I've got, I was, yeah, I've, I use a K2M adapter. So basically what I can do is use my shotgun mic plugged in with an XLR into this K2M along with my wireless mics. Oh, nice. Lab mic. So yeah, the lab mic plugs in with the XLR, the shotgun plugs with the XLR. And what that K2M allows you to do is plug both of those in. And you got a hot shoe on top of your Sony. You got one too. Mm-hmm. Well, this K2M is a hot shoe adapter. So once you plug it in on top, it's it's synced. You don't have to plug nothing in or anything. Nice. You just plug in your shotgun to the K2M and and then your lap mics, obviously. But um, yeah. but nothing from the camera to the KTM. That's nice. It's all run off the hot shoe. So got it. Yeah. <clears throat> um. That's, yeah. I mean, my my yeah. camera stuff is still pretty basic i'm still trying to uh, obviously i'll get more stuff but um that's what i use for now and it's been working really well i've upgraded since i mean before when i first started all this i was running like a an old nikon dslr which it was a joke but um yeah but yeah so i've i've moved up you know, it's not, it's not the greatest equipment and it's, well, it's, it's up there, but it's no red by any means. Um, <laughs> and yeah, um, I could definitely use more lenses, but for <laughs> what I have is, I mean, it's. So, yeah, I have the a seven three as well with a 24 to one Oh five F four. So I, I, I spent a lot of time like going back and forth and what I wanted and, and whatnot. And I just settled on the 24 to 105 and, and hope that the crop sensor would work well. Um, and it, it, with, even without the crop sensor, the 105 reaches out to 30, 35 yards is kind of its max distance. Um, mm-hmm. where you really want to like, I mean, you can zoom in and, and Adobe premiere pro and whatnot, and you can scale it up, but really like that's, kind of the distance that I like it at. I mean, 40 yards on that. I mean, I would still shoot a deer at 40 yards and whatnot with that lens and everything. It just, I'd have to scale it up and I don't run just for memory space. I don't run anything really in 4k. Um, so say if you shot in 4k, you could scale it up and you wouldn't lose a lot of quality. You could right quite a bit without losing quality at all. So I know I just like, I, you I'm not professional enough to, to want it or need it. And I don't want to buy the terabytes of hard drives for it. <laughs> I get you. Yeah. Yeah. I get you. Yeah. I, I run 120 frames and then 4K. Yeah. And I run the 120 usually when I have good light, just because I like that slow motion look. So, oh, yeah. And then, of course, interviews are, I use 4K for interviews so 4k and do you run 24 or 30 frames or 60 uh, 30 30 yeah. Yeah. yeah um so yeah i mean that's what i run and then i actually have the reach camera arm have you ever heard of that 
the reach camera arm mm-hmm. yeah are you sponsored by fourth arrow no no uh, not at all okay so yeah all right well then you'd have to i like the reach a lot it's is it heavy no it's like this big and it fits in you know that lone wolf custom gear camera arm that just came out yeah it's... yeah it's like that size like you can put this thing in your pocket um okay it's made by out on a limb it's a dude okay. who just kind of like he made he makes do you know the shikar climbing sticks at all Mm-mm. he's like a he's like a machinist and he he loves hunting so he makes all these like really high end i mean this camera arm is like 250 dollars or 260 bucks oh wow. but it's like it's it's real small it's really light and it fits it literally fits in my fanny pack so like i don't have to like strap it to anything it's not big um it's got a three tier three arm system yeah. um, so you get a little bit more angle with it and then um and it's got the same like knee joint or whatever like the fourth arrow mm-hmm. so like you know it's got that same ball joint so you can actually lock it down move it to any position set it on any angle oh nice yeah yeah, yeah I like I, I really like that by fourth arrow and how easy it is to adjust there that thing is yeah so i bought this thing from oh, um go. the heartland bow hunter when it was this was the original muddy um camera arm it was yeah made i've used on, that one before <laughs> yeah it was made based on it, honestly i like it because it's so heavy duty and that's the issue yeah. with me is like heavy five pounds <laughs> oh yeah the thing <laughs> is is you know when you're in a tree filming camera arm, right now that sorry keep going that's the muddy right no, this is the H. This is the so Heartland Bowhunter, as far as I understand it, Heartland Bowhunter um, actually like were the prototypes for Muddy. So, okay. I was going to say that looks identical to a Muddy. So they okay. made these themselves and then sold it to Muddy. Oh, okay. and that's like Har- that's that's how I understand it. And I may yeah, be totally wrong. But that's why, like, Heartland Bowhunter was sponsored by Muddy for the first, I don't know, whatever years they were in business. Yeah. Um, And now they're sponsored by Hawk, and they're all owned by whatever that outdoor, the outdoor company or whatever it's called. Um, I forget who owns Hawk. But they all, they both, they own Hawk and Muddy. So they're still sponsored by the same people. But, um, but yeah, as I understand it, that's who made the first... Um, camera arm and sorry for anybody listening i'm i'm showing scott these these this camera arm that i got behind me (laughs) um but it's just a really heavy duty like muddy basic original one and dylan lens always talks shit about camera arms sucking and so i was like dude i gotta give you i gotta give you this thing and and let you run this just for fun just to see if you you think now you're talking about the reach now right no no this one you're talking about that one I th- yeah, is it, I think he uses that one still. That's right? pretty much what he, from what I understand. And yeah. that's that's kind of where I'm at right now because you're saying how the one you use now is pretty similar to the Lone Wolf Custom Gear one. It's kind of it, it's similar in size. The only thing with that is like because I was at ATA when it first came out and I was like, okay, there's no way all the stuff I have my cam on my camera and then my fluid head is not going to make this not bend and flex. Yeah. 
So yep. that's my thing right now is finding that good camera arm that isn't bulky like that, but still has some good stabilization with mm-hmm. my camera equipment. Yeah, so, maybe in the off season we'll get together and I'll and I'll bring that with me. Yeah, you can I'd test like it to, out. I'd like to give it a shot. It yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I have a shotgun mic plus the A7 and the 24 to 105, and it it does pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. So that 24 to 105 is a really good lens. Yeah, I mean, I I like it. It does does just about everything I need it to do. But I used to run a 24 70 and 70 to 200, and mm-hmm. those like that combo was like. I loved it, but I hated swapping lenses all the time for interviews. I needed the 2470. Yeah, it's hard to like do one. In the... 70 to 200. It's so hard to like, do one in the tree with that. Yeah, swapping lenses all the time in the tree. I was like, I'm going to get busted someday doing this, and I'm just going to get pissed yeah. about it and throw it all away. <laughs> Look and uh, <clears throat> see, that's what I really like about the fixed apertures is you don't have to make sure. Because, like, when I'm using my 24, 240 it's got it's not a fixed aperture it's a 3.5 to 5.6 mm-hmm. so if i'm at a 3.5 aperture and then i zoom out with my lens it's going to go to a 5.6 or a, or a 6.3 and okay. what happens is your lighting it, it messes up your lighting when it's darker out when there's mm-hmm. not as much light um and i guess it's just no okay it's noticeably different in dark so if you're at 3.5 and you zoom out and it's 20 minutes to dark, you're going to see it. And then you got to right. adjust the aperture. So what I try to do is just leave it at 5.6. Yeah. If that makes sense. No, um, I, yeah, that, so makes, that makes sense. That's the only thing that sucks with that lens is you get that wide range of focal length, but um, you get that you, variable. You lose top. light. Yeah. You lose yeah. light. For anybody like getting into camera gear and whatnot um and we'll kind of wrap this up in a few minutes here but for anybody getting into camera gear my advice is to to start small make sure that you actually use it and then start building upon whatever the heck you start with so like don't go out and buy a sony a7 III if it's your first time because that thing's like i don't know 2500 bucks or whatever um like go out and buy the $500 video camera or go out and buy a $500 DSLR or a $600, whatever, whatever your budget can afford, like start, start there and make sure you like it and you actually use it first. Cause a lot of people buy these cameras and they go out and they just never end up using it. And they're like, why the hell did I buy this thing? You know, like everybody does with a freaking GoPro. <laughs> everybody guys buys a GoPro and then after they use it a couple of times, they're like, all right, this thing's like not worth it. I need to do something with it. So I my biggest piece mention. of advice, what's that? Nope. Keep going. Sorry. Oh, okay. So my biggest piece of advice is, is to start small and build into it. And then the other piece is join um like outdoor video classifieds on Facebook. So it's a bunch of hunters who have video gear and they sell their old video gear on it. So you can get high quality gear for a lot lower pricing from other hunters. And, um, and it's, and it's, and it's a great way to get, you know, a thousand dollar camera for 600 bucks or 500 bucks, whatever they're selling it for. Um, so that's what I would do. And, and don't be afraid to buy used. It's kind of like buying like a used vehicle just because it's got 50,000 miles on it. Doesn't mean it's trash you know, just means that it's, it's been used a little bit and it's broken. 
Yeah. And you're good to go. <laughs> I know some people, um, I've had them, Jordan and Taylor Coleman captured creative. They, uh, they've been on the podcast a couple times and they buy a lot of their equipment used just cause it's, it's a great way to save money. So don't be afraid to buy used. That's my biggest piece of advice. If you have uh, direct camera questions, um, find Scott. <laughs> there's, there's a lot more talented people than me, but <laughs> yeah, you know, who's, you know, who's actually really responsive, who, if anybody's really looking to get into camera gear, like reach out to Steven Drake. Like okay. Stephen Drake's really responsive nice. and he's a really good dude. And he knows a lot about cameras. Good dude. So find him on Instagram. I always go to Dylan. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan. Oh yeah. I suppose Dylan's actually going to be on, on Thursday. So he'll be on oh, nice. the podcast coming up soon and we'll, we'll talk about camera stuff too. But yeah, Dylan lens of the breaking point is his last name was meant for him. Like oh, really? L E N Z yeah. and all he does is play with lenses. So uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, Dylan's a wealth of knowledge as well, for sure. Definitely. Um, all right. Well, you got any, any Scott, where can people find you if they want to follow along on your journeys? Sure. Yeah. I haven't been as active as I should be on it, but uh, Instagram, uh, it, it's just my name, Scott Spitzley 88. Um, and then, I mean, if, if you want to follow me on Facebook or add me on Facebook, sure, go ahead. It's just my name. <laughs> I don't really have, I mean, if you want to follow the company I work with, it's uh, non-typical productions. So, um, and you can find them on Instagram as well, which is NTP images. Um, look us up on six packs and racks. I mean, I'm not trying to steal your thunder here, but. <laughs> no, no, no. Find, find stick. No, dude. Six packs and racks is a great. <laughs> It is a great podcast. I enjoy listening to it. And I, I did uh, the radio report for Wired to Hunt last week. Oh, did you? Nice. And I uh, introduced myself as Six Packs and Racks. I can't believe how many you know, like how many more listens we get a day from after that. Like, there's <laughs> there's a lot of listeners that nice. that listen to Wired to Hunt. So that was yeah, that was pretty cool. So awesome. But yeah, you can find us on uh, Instagram, Six Packs and Racks, Facebook, Six Packs and Racks. Um, and that's about it. I do have a YouTube channel. It's uh, definitely out of date. Um, there's some probably embarrassing videos on there. There's some <laughs> decent videos on there if you want to follow me on there. Um, it's just my name, Scott Spitzley. I don't really go anything, go under anything else. So All right. that's about it, man. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for hopping on, man. Appreciate it. And I appreciate um, it. Thanks for yeah. having me, man. Yeah, you bet. For everybody listening to this, um, if you guys like this, please, please leave a review. Um, please tell your friends about it. Say it's awesome. It's a great podcast. <laughs> and uh, if you leave a review, just just mark the five stars and then say whatever you want. I, I don't I don't care after that point. <laughs> so. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Catch you later.